The estate planning team is an Ohio registered investment advisor. The following is for informational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities or financial products. Be sure to consult with a qualified financial advice and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. You have financial goals and dreams. We can help you achieve them. Welcome to Financial Food for Thought, the show that answers all the questions on how to maximize your lifestyle and preserve your wealth. Found financial food for thought. You got Mark Donnelly and Carrie Waddell. So you know what they're calling the economic this summer, Carrie? Uh, I'm assuming from the song, "Cool Summer." <laughs> I mean, with the shock line risk so negative, Carrie. I guess it's time to buy stocks, right? Yeah. Well, they're low. We don't make stock recommendations, everyone. That's not what we do at the estate planning team. So welcome. You found Financial Food for Thought. And Carol Waddell, you're back. You were busy yeah. last weekend. Yeah. Everything work okay? Yeah. Congratulations my, um, on your daughter graduating. Yeah, we're moving out of state, looking for an apartment because, you know, those, Yikes. You know, those um, new grads don't realize you actually have to go see them in person. <laughs> <laughs> we were going to put deposits online. Uh, no. Uh so she's starting her career in a, yeah. in, in a cruel summer, Carrie. Yeah. Let's get started here. Despite widespread job growth, a housing market frenzy, and a monster gain on the S&P 500 last year, many economists and CEOs now warn a recession could be looming. As the Federal Reserve tries to tame high inflation by aggressively hiking interest rates, even the head of the Fed himself admits central bankers probably should have acted sooner. Hmm. Hindsight says we should have moved earlier. We're going to use our tools and we're going to get this done. Now the challenge for the Fed is this, slowing the economy enough to get inflation under control, but not so much that it lurches into recession. It's the search for the so-called soft landing, but it won't be easy. The chances of pulling off are very, very low because... This is Bill Dudley, you know, former Fed. To push up the unemployment rate, and in the past, when you've pushed up the unemployment rate, You've almost never been able to avoid a full-fledged recession. As recession fears grow, investors are dumping stocks and other risky assets. Everything from the tech sector to retail stocks to Bitcoin has plunged. Other factors like Russia's invasion of Ukraine and COVID-19 lockdowns in China, they aren't helping the outlook. So if the U.S. economy does slide into recession, what shape will it take? There's an alphabet... Yeah, so, Carrie, do you remember in the when we were talking about the Rona recession in 2020, right. about the shape of the recovery? Right. Yeah, you know, and... and the K shape. The K was the, the one, right. it, it was the new one, right? Right. It, it, was, it could have been a V shape, because right. it came back so quickly. Or a U shape. But it was actually a K shape, meaning that a lot of people came out smelling like roses. And some people, and a lot of people did didn't. not. The V-shaped curve is the best-case scenario. It's a sharp drop followed by an equally sharp recovery. Often that results from a one-time shock to the economy, like we saw at the beginning of the pandemic. The U-shaped curve is a more drawn-out recession that takes a few years for GDP to fully recover. And, and that's the typical one. you know. So if, if you're doing this at home and you want to build in an economic downturn, or you know, let's call it a recession, that... You don't typically build a re- as quick as recovery as we saw in the right. Rona recession. It's more that you gradually come back. Right. It, you're not. It's not that V shape. It's more the U shape. You see, you have some false. You know. You know. You think you're back, and then you have another setback. Right. You know, it's that. It's a little sawtooth. It's not just that sharp V. 
Now, that occurred in the mid-1970s during the oil crisis and a period of stagflation. Then there's the dreaded L-shaped or hockey stick recession. That's the worst case. That's when a prolonged recession turns into a full-blown depression. The Great Depression is a classic example. But some economists argue the financial crisis, which started in 2007 and took nearly six years for a full recovery, also met that L-shaped yeah. definition. Was that a depression? There's also the W, when the economy bounces back quickly, only to slide right back into recession. And finally, there's the K. Now, that's when different sectors of the economy rebound more quickly than others, creating two separate recovery lines. Some economists argue that's what really happened after the start of the pandemic, when low-income workers were the last to feel the economy come back. That's a lot of letters, but remember, a recession is just a possibility at this point. Still, it's what economists are treating very seriously. So are you treating it seriously? And that's what we've been talking about on this radio show program for a long, long time. And the, you know, the shock line risk, Biden's inflation attack plan pouring gasoline on the fire. Ex-Fed chair says U.S. economy is heading towards stagflation. Goldman Sachs calculates the worst case recession forecast as investors dump stocks and crypto. EU cuts forecasts for economic growth as wars fallout widens. Recession is a real danger for Democrats. More than half Americans say inflation may have a big negative impact on long-term financial goals. Economy, surprise slump brings stagflation fears. Higher energy bills are coming to Ohio. What you can do to save. Bear market looms as I could go on and on and on here. Mm-hmm. So there's not a whole lot of optimism out there. So what we've been trying to help our clients understand and, and listeners is the idea that are, do you need to be concerned? And that's where I think people don't know. Yes, I can't control the economy. I can't control the market. I can't control Putin. inflation. I can only control my choices. But also we see people who are worried that really don't need to be that are terrified and really worried and other people that aren't worried that in reality should be making adjustments because fear can paralyze you into doing nothing Mm -hmm. you know except or or if you don't know and you don't have the knowledge of really am i going to how will this materially affect my plan or my spending if i don't really know then i can't take action if i don't know where my numbers are so and so what are some of the signs of the cruel summer? Well, we could talk about demand destruction, right? In other words, we, we got some data this week you know, on the earnings from the retail apocalypse, right? So we'll talk a little bit about Ooh. that today. Um, you know, the, the, uh, you, you could talk about how Fed Chair Powell, you know, w- was commenting, you know, and, and saying that um, it's going to be painful right um Mm -hmm. the uh the you know here's his quote the process of getting inflation down to two percent will also include some pain but ultimately the most painful thing would be if we were to fail to deal with it and inflation were to get entrenched in the economy at high levels um we could talk about the gas prices. Ooh, you know, this J- week was tough. Yeah, J.P. Morgan came out with that shock line. You know, California six dollars gas could spread nationwide. Mm. You know, their 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 experts say there's a real risk the price could reach six dollars plus a gallon by August. Okay, um, with expectations of strong driving demand, U.S. retail price could surge another thirty seven percent. I don't know if that if that's possible. You know, you, I don't know. You, it took a big jump this week. You know, you saw the that some of the gas stations out in in Washington State that they were altering their marquees and their pumps to be able to do, ten, you know, double digit, uh, oh. you know, an, an extra digit for the per gallon. You know, meaning that's more than ten dollars. That's not a good sign. Um, is that a sign to come? Um, I don't. I just don't think this country would stand for $10 a gallon gasoline oh, for very Oh, no, long. I don't even think five. I think when you're getting close to five, people are having a... Do you remember when we had four and people were... Now we're above four. We're almost at four and a half that people were freaking out. Well, especially I always think, Mark, you've talked about on the show for a long time, Lister, how one penny per gallon at the pump translate to spending in the economy. Billions, and when yeah. we have 20 cent jumps, 25, 30 cent jumps... 
Those are big. Right. So get us started, Carrie. We'll All right. Good morning, everyone. You're listening to Financial Food for Thought. We're here every Saturday morning on 1420 a.m. between 9 and 10. We're a financial educational talk program here to give you helpful information and make you aware of issues that could impact your financial life as well as choices that you have that you may not be aware of. We're sponsored by the estate planning team. And the estate planning team is an affordable fee-based Ohio registered fiduciary planning firm. And what we do is financial modeling, number crunching, um, and help people analyze choices through objective unbiased planning or objective unbiased analysis and recommendations so that you know what steps you should take, what strategies you should be using that you may not be aware of, and we're also known for coordination of advisors. Um, the show, which I forgot to mention, is sponsored by the estate planning team. Um, but that financial modeling we do really helps people know your numbers and know what action steps to take, whether it's timing of Social Security, pension elections, IRA and Roth conversion planning, which we've talked about in the last few shows about Roth conversions and opportunities with Roth conversion planning through when uh, the market is down. So when all that, when the market does come back, that growth is um, tax free and just looking for opportunities in every economic situation and giving people clarity of should they be worried? Should they be not? Um, Some people are still overspending. Some people are underspending. Do you know? And our plans are very detailed um, and we provide, uh, you know, this value and benefit for our clients so they know. And also, even though we don't do investments, our clients do the investing on their own or we work with their existing investment advisor to know what growth rate do they do you need. And during these times of uncertainty and the potential of a recession, are you taking on more risk than necessary to accomplish all your financial goals? And we offer a free, no obligation, no pressure consultation. If you provide us information, we'll even run some preliminary analysis and we can meet by phone or we're happy to meet in person to see if you can benefit. And we have both hourly and comprehensive retainer fees. And I I don't know any other way other than to have a plan wherever you get that to really give you clarity and possibly peace of mind on what you need to do and how you could possibly adjust and look for opportunities to create that income tax efficiently and don't miss an opportunity, which we often quite see in cases. And you can call 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090. Or visit our website at financialfoodforthought.com. That's financialfoodforthought.com. All right. So more of the shock line risk, Carrie. So Goldman Sachs economist sees a slowdown in consumer spending. So that's the demand destruction. And that's what a lot of people are looking for. And and we're going to watch that very closely. Have you changed your spending habits? Have you tightened your belt? Have you cut out discretionary spending? Have you, um, I was talking to, I, I see it more and more every week now, Carrie, with the clients I'm talking to. You know, that three, a month ago, two months ago, no, it was very, it was far and few in between that said, Mark, yeah, I'm making changes. It's much more now because inflation right. has been entrenched for a while. So, you know, a lot of times the comments, I was just talking to a, a client this week and it was, it was more that, yeah, I, I'm, I, I spend this, I just make a habit. I spend the same amount at the grocery store every week and just how much I can get, right? I get. Mm-hmm. Um, you Which know, these days is a lot less. Yeah, you're bet. So that is another way of tightening your belt. Although um, in my house, I have a teenage boy, so no, I just have to suck it up and pay more. <laughs> fried bologna sandwiches, Carrie. Yeah. Are you making those yet for him? Well, no. No? No, I don't think he's ever had. No. I don't think he's ever had that. I'll have to try that. He probably would eat it. He'll eat anything. Fried egg sandwiches? But even eggs oh, are yeah. so expensive. You can't do fried eggs anymore. I think bologna is cheaper than eggs right now. Mm, um, could be. The here a top economist Mohammed El Arian right says stagflation is unavoidable and investors should prepare for a significant slowdown in growth. Um, he goes on to say U.S. is staring down the barrel of the 1970s style stagflation as economic growth slows and inflation remains elevated. Um, stagflation is the worst thing for the Federal Reserve. He goes on to say. Uh, because the two main objectives of the central bank, which, of course, is the dual mandates that Fed Chair Powell is always talking about to maintain price stability. That means keep it lit on inflation and maximum employment, meaning a low unemployment rate. 
and they're in conflict with one right. another. You, you, that's the issue that to you, we need the you know we need to keep that unemployment. Remember, th- those are the three legs, so to speak, of the stagflation stool. You know, one is inflation, right. high, high, you know, it's, uh, ongoing inflation, entrenched inflation. I guess I was trying to say. Two is slowing growth. A lower GDP, mm-hmm. and of course, if you have two consecutive negative GD quarters, that is technically a recession, right? Mm-hmm. And then the third leg is high unemployment. Well, that's what we haven't had right right now. But is that going to change? Okay, so the weekly jobless claims come out this week, Carrie, and yeah, it and wasn't that good. No, and remember, I said that like two hundred thousand is kind of like a unwritten threshold that people watch right um you know when there's more than two hundred thousand jobless claims that's going the wrong direction right if it's under two hundred thousand that's nothing i mean that's well, it's that's going normal. in the wrong direction and remember it was below two hundred thousand for a few weeks right. then it's creeped right up above two hundred thousand last week two hundred eighteen thousand all right um so are we starting to see and and another one is you know well we'll look at um we'll look at the retail because a lot of retail numbers came out this week mm-hmm. um, and kind of go from there. Also, where, you know, the cruel summer is going to affect your, your if you're buying or selling a home. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so, you know, they're, they're saying that that's the housing numbers weren't good. You know, the new housing. Right. Right. Um, but inventory was crazy before where people had a hard time finding places. Yeah. Construction for new homes fell slightly in April. The second be, month in a row. Could it be because interest rates went up too much? Of, of course. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm that's just saying. But right. is it the housing bubble? And that, right. that, remember, that's what led into the 2008 Great right, Recession. Right, but we can't keep going the way. I mean, talk about over like houses were overpriced. I've heard clients or friends right. that were overbidding, and now we have interest rates that were double what right. they were last year. Rising mortgage rates, record home prices, and high cost of building materials. Yeah. It's all starting to take effect, Gary. Um, Housing starts dipped 0.2% to an annual pace of 1.72 million. In a country this size, that doesn't sound like too many new homes. No. 1.72 million? Um, yeah, I don't know about that. Um, the, the the street was looking for about 1.75. So no, it, that's it, not yeah. bad then. Uh, that's not that far off. Um, well, the number of new permits slipped 3.2% to 1.82 million. Um, you know, it, it's still the idea that there's just not enough housing to go around. And, and, and what's really where the housing is, is booming, so to speak, is not in the single family houses, the American dream carry of owning your house. It's in the, you know, it's in the, it's in the multi-unit, you know, the rental places where, you know, they're built they're you know, it, it, it's not, it's, it, it's not what the American dream is all about, um, so, you know, they're there now. Maybe, you know, you're they're also saying that home renovations will turn painful. They're saying as so maybe you're saying right. I'm not buying a new home. I got to fix up the one I got. Right. Well, they're saying you get ready for some pain there in this. Oh, no summer. kidding. Yeah. Um, a combination of pent up demand, overburdened contractors, shortage of materials and delays in the supply chain has turned home remodeling into an unusually costly and time consuming affair for people around the globe. Um, so uh, Carrie, find me some good news. Uh, um, warmer weather, all those storms. I don't know. The, Things are blooming. It's awfully pretty and green out there. <laughs> <laughs> May is always the most beautiful month to sell. Oh, yeah. Um, so we, we've got this, um, we, we've got two major, I mean, not two, but I mean, there's a lot of major things, but it's still back to Carrie. So if you're trying to be conservative and real. You always talk about on this show, if you're running a financial model, you've got to make a lot of assumptions, right? And the idea is you want to keep two parameters in mind every time you need to make an assumption. Okay. Mm-hmm. And one is that it's conservative. Right. And two, is that, is it realistic? So that's what we, so we can, we can use that, um, 
an analogy or th- that recommendation, you know, in, in this instance, in other words, would you say, is it realistic that the U.S. could land in a recession in the next 18 months? I think most people say, would say, yes, yeah. it's realistic. It could happen. I'm not saying it, it it's definitely going to happen. Right. A lot of people are, but a lot of people say, no, we could have, you know, if, if, if we can get all these people that haven't, remember that, that, that crazy statistic, there's two jobs for every, uh, you know, person looking for work. Yeah. You know, there's that huge imbalance. If we could get people back to work, back to work and get this economy going, that's one thing before the companies start laying off again. Right. Cause with... <laughs> because of demand destruction that's going on. Right. Um, so, you know, that's that. So you could say, okay, so it's realistic, Mark, that we could have a recession. All right. So then the question is, well, if it's realistic, let's go to our other parameter for assumptions. Now, conservative. So right. if it's realistic, so is it more conservative to run your plan assuming there won't be a recession? Or is it more conservative to run your plan that there will be a recession? It's more conservative to say it will be. So that's a good example of when we say that when you're booking your assumptions, look at both those parameters, what's realistic and what's conservative. Now, you could take, now most people would say, well, Mark, obviously it's more conservative to assume a recession than not. Okay, well, we could take the conservative parameter one step further and Mm -hmm. say, all right, so you're saying it's realistic that we'll have a recession, let's say in the next 18 months. Now, conservatively, how deep do you want to assume it will be? So you can go to another level of conservative. You could say you think it's going to be a V-shaped recovery. Do you think it's going to be a double dip? Do you think it's going to be a, the dreaded hockey stick? You know, that's where, again, you could, you can, based on what you feel, you can make your plan more conservative or not. And it's quantifying that, like with the when you're saying that is how much of a loss and then what kind of slow growth recovery do you want to assume? And that's going to be different for everybody when we're building those plans. Right. But it's taking those worries or things, travel, recession, market downturn and quantifying it into a number. Right. And the it's also what what, you know, baby boomers right now unless you're the senior baby boomers, but if you're the sophomore or freshman baby boomers, you haven't had to deal with 40-year high inflation rates. Mm-hmm. Or you've never seen a bond bear market. Right. You, you know, um, you know the 60-40, again, the 60-40 portfolio, I don't think it's going to be positive this year. Now, I'm also not saying the 60-40 portfolio is dead. That'll mm-hmm. never come back. Right. Um, but it, it's not going to look too good this year. So, it, you know, so and, and, and that's something that if, you know, if you're a young baby boomer, you haven't had to deal with that. You know, last time that, you know, last time we had these inflation rates or a bond bear market, you weren't paying the bills. Right. Um, you know, and so now you are and now you're trying to wrap that around if you're trying to decide when I can retire. And really, it's more re- it's more conservative also that if I assume a worst case scenario and I can afford to retire on my same parameters, I'm going to feel much more comfortable of actually retiring versus saying, uh, maybe, maybe not. Let's go a little rosier. Then you may not. We find that people may continue working when they don't need to because they don't know because they're worried again because they right. don't have a way to measure. Right. So as we were mentioning, the. We had the retail apocalypse this week, right? Mm-hmm. So the 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 big retail companies came out with their earnings or lack of earnings. Mm-hmm. Um, so Target, right? Right. Uh, earnings came in at two nineteen per share. The street was looking for three dollars and seven cents. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now revenue came in at twenty five point one seven billion. And the street was looking for twenty four point four nine billion. Okay. So they beat on revenues, but their stock was down twenty five percent. Okay. Um, now, so that was a clear indication that the street is more concerned about the bottom line than they are the top line. Right. 
Okay, and and that's margin compression, right? That's the word wealth word of the week, Harry. Right, margin right. compression, and meaning that the what 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 these stores are saying is that we can't keep our margins up. The demand destruction, people aren't buying that. We make most of our margin on discretionary. You know, I mean, people will still go to Target and buy their, you know, uh, you know, laundry detergent and, you know, staples. Right, Carrie? But they're not going to be shopping the the, the wardrobes sections Mm -hmm. where where these stores make most of their markup. Right. Um, Those things, they'll they'll deal with what is in their closet, you know, Um, you know, so that's the. uh, Yeah. So what did CEO Brian Cornell um, also said the company missed the mark as its gains were accompanied by unusually high costs. Okay. Um, while we saw a healthy top line growth in the quarter, we were less profitable than we expected or intended to be over time. Okay. Um, so how about, uh, who else do we have? How did Lowe's do? Okay. Um, so earning for Lowe's, so earnings came in at Three fifty one per share, and the street was looking for a three twenty two. Oh, that was. I was going to say, I've been shopping at Lowe's. Okay, <laughs> it's been re- packed. <laughs> Revenue came in at twenty three point six six billion, and the street was looking for twenty three point seven six billion. So, that's a meat. You know, it's not really a, you know, miss. It's a, it's a meat. Um, so what do they say? Lowe's missed Wall Street's revenue expectations for the first quarter. So Wall Street says that's a miss, Gary. Remember, in the, in the earnings game, pennies matter, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Or in this case, it, it, you know, billions matter. Uh, but, right. Or percentage of billions. Hundreds of millions, I guess we'd call that. Um, and what did Lowe's say? Uh, so they blamed it somewhat on the, the cooler spring weather. You know, so people, we weren't buying our grills yet. Um and things like that, and our umbrellas and our outdoor furniture yet. Um, let's see, Marvin Ellison, CEO, said the underlying factors driving the home improvement industry have not changed an aging housing s- stock, a shortage of available homes, and appreciating real estate values that giving consumers confidence to spring for a kitchen appliance or redo a bedroom despite inflation. So he still says they've got they've got some of that going on. Um what do you say here? I'm not saying the macro environment does not matter. I'm saying that for the home improvement, we are still seeing a material impact. So they're still betting, carry on, you know, where that Americans oh. are going to redo their homes. Um, how about Kohl's? Okay. So Kohl's, do you ever go to Kohl's, Carrie? I haven't done it in a while. Their prices went up to, have gone up. Demand destruction for Gary. Yeah. Um, so Kohl's. I'm pretty frugal. Their prices went up and their selection went down, so. Okay, so earnings per share came in at eleven cents, and the street was looking for seventy cents. Ooh. Okay. Um, revenue came in at three point seven two billion, and the street was looking for three point six eight billion. Okay. Okay. Um, so CEO Michelle Gas said Coles has been pleased with the number of parties who recognize the value of our business and plant. What? Is that a touchy feely response? <laughs> okay. Um, the company also posted a massive earnings miss for its fiscal first quarter and slashed its profit mark value. You know, slap slashed its profit and sales outlook for the year. That's the kiss of death. Kevin. Yeah. Um, uh, company stock slid seven percent in pre market trading. That's from that touchy feely comment. So the, 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 <laughs> I was like, Wall Street doesn't listen to this touchy feely comments. That's what I'm saying. I would listen and say, forget it. Um, that doesn't give you much confidence. No, when, when, when you come out with the next line and you're slashing, uh, f- uh, you know, future guidance on revenue, bottom at top and bottom line, you know, mm-hmm. Wall Street's not going to punish you. So, so this is so this is the concern that. That you heard or you've read or you've seen the the shock line risk about all the so-called experts who are saying that we've got the 1970s stagflation recession coming mm-hmm. and there's nothing Fed Chair Powell can do about it um, or President Biden for that matter. Right. right? Well, um, I don't count President yeah. Biden doing much to help us. Uh, yeah. Welcome to the Biden stagflation yeah. party, Gary. Um, now, so the third leg that has to fall is the unemployment. 
All right. Well, so if you went back to the Harvard MBA textbook on how you improve your profit margins, Gary, mm-hmm. the the quickest way to do that is you cut costs. Right. And for a big corporation, what's the quickest way for them to cut costs? Cut employees. You lay off employees. Right. Um, so if that starts happening, if that's the only way these companies, you know, if they see the demand destruction that people aren't packing the stores and people aren't driving that extra distance with, you know, $6 a dollar gasoline. Right. And if they're going to the store, they're just getting the staples. Not a lot of profit margin on that. Right. Do they need all those people? Probably not. And if that starts turning the unemployment, now you've got the three legs. You've got inflation, slower growth, and, you know, a higher unemployment. Now, the other thing, too, is, you know, is the stock market going to um, end up in, in a crash situation? Um, so... It's interesting, Carrie, because, you know, I keep track of volatility, right? And, and my, I, you know, I keep track of how many days the S&P 500 is up or down right. more than two percentage points in any one day. Or a parabolic move is double that, 4%. Mm-hmm. So we, this week we had our first parabolic move this year in, this, in the S&P 500, with, you know, when it was down over 4%. So I was waiting for that because right. I, I was comparing the the 2008 meltdown to the 2022 all right um because it's looking more like 2008 than it does than it's looking like 2020 um you know with the rona recession um so for example so far and this is through you know we taped the show on friday so this is through the 19th so the s&p has had 18 two percent movements Okay. Okay. Um, and one of those being parabolic. Now, comparative to 2008, by this point in that in that time, there was 13, you know, two percent movements and one parabolic. Okay. Kind of matching, right? And mm, this is kind of worse. And, and 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 2008 didn't wind up too good because by the end of 2008, we had 74 days where the S and P 500 moved two percent up or down. And 29 of which were parabolic. That's when people start jumping off bridges. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, the other thing, too, is the S&P 500 is just barely, and I don't know what the market's doing this morning while we're taping the show, but, I mean, it's it's almost in crash mode, you know, 20% decline. So let's say, so what happens if the S&P does wind up with a 20% or more loss in the year? doesn't happen too often, Kerry. Okay. As a matter of fact, in the last, I think, 90, 95 years, it's only happened 14 times. Okay. Okay. But of those 14 times where the S&P 500 was down more than 20% for the calendar year. Yeah. All right. Only two times did the U.S. US economy not shrink in the following year. Okay. Okay. So remember, go back to your textbook, what is a recession to right. consecutive negative quarters. So that's a, that's, a, that's a pretty strong statistic. As a matter right. of fact, let's go back to 2008. That's the last time the S&P 500 closed down more than 20%. But it's different this time. And, and that, I mean, now in 2008, <laughs> it was down almost double that. It was down 38.49%. Right. But it's different. But what did GDP do in 2009? It was negative 2.5%. Ouch. So, you know, that is why a lot of people say doesn't matter what Fed Chair Paul does now or what President Biden does now. Or this, doesn't do. This country <laughs> is headed to recession. All right. Regardless of that, find out should you adjust or how much you really realistically need to adjust for your long term planning and your spending. And if you're whether you're working or in retirement, we may be able to help you use opportunities to create tax efficient income. Are you looking at IRA distribution planning, Roth conversions, um, all the other opportunities that could exist in your plan? And also are you taking on more risk than necessary? 
And as I said about underspending and overspending before, we still find people that are underspending even when we build that worst case scenario. Um, one of those, our philosophies is plan for the worst and hope for the best. And in these times, we can model that in um, in very detailed so that you're actually comfortable making the decisions and believe in your numbers because you've put in the work with your numbers and we walk through you step by step. And you can call the estate planning team. We do offer that free, no obligation, no pressure consultation by phone or in person to determine if we can help. Remember, we have affordable hourly and comprehensive retainer fees. My number is 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090. Or visit our website and you can also listen to previous shows, podcasts, see specials, sign up for newsletters at financialfoodforthought.com. All right. Listen to Mark Daly and Kara Waddell and we're the co-owners of the estate planning team. The estate planning team has been helping Cleveland families build custom financial plans for over 35 years. And over those decades, we've certainly have tried to help our clients understand the power of building a conservative, realistic financial plan to help you deal with issues that are totally beyond your control. And, you know, Benjamin Grand care you, you know who was um a famous economist right he mm-hmm. was he was kind of considered the father of value investing his, his great work was the intelligent investor it was published in 1949 um he lived from you know i think 1894 to 1976 but he had a great quote right so his quote and they were talking about famous quotes dealing with the stock market volatility right mm-hmm. and his quote one of his quotes was the best way to measure your investing success is not by whether you're beating the market, but by whether you've put in place a financial plan and a behavioral discipline that are likely to get you where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a good synopsis of what we try to do for our clients. We don't manage assets for our clients. We don't tell you what stocks to buy, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, you know, gold, commodities, whatever. Right. Um, you know, a lot of our clients, as you mentioned earlier, do their own investing. A lot of them already have an investment advisor in place. But what they're lacking is a a, a uh, financial plan that, that shows them that they can go the, where they want to go. Right. Or they may have something in their sock drawer that they printed out once and got a 32-page, you know, DIY, you know, internet thing. Or through an investment program. And they don't even know how to work it. Well, they don't know how to manipulate it or they don't know how does that translate a lot of times in actionable steps. So they say take this amount or even like the 4% rule gives you a ballpark, but it also doesn't know, tell you, is there a better way to create that income needed tax efficiently and which pot of money to pull it from? Right. Or even or even on a a simpler level, Carrie, the 4% rule may not be your same assumptions, meaning right. your period of retirement may be longer or shorter than Benjamin's 30 years. And maybe with inflation, you want to vary ah, the inflation rates. Maybe you want to go a little bit higher than what Benjamin used. But maybe I don't want to go inflation. higher for all the my lifetime either. So on this show, and we've been, for the last couple of, of uh, shows, you can always go back and listen to our podcasts because I can't repeat everything, but I've been using that as an example, Carrie, the 50, 30, 20 rule, mm-hmm. you know, that says, okay, it's a, which is a, a basic, a very uh, popular, if not, I'm not saying easy plan, uh, financial recommendation to follow, but the idea that you take your pay and 50% goes to your mandatory living expenses, 30% goes to more discretionary type spending, and you're trying to save 20%. Mm-hmm. So if you if you can start that and have the discipline to follow that, for if you're starting right. that at age 25 and do that until you retire, you're going to have a great retirement. Right. Now, but my what I've been talking about is can it can the 50 30 20 rule save the 50-year-old who hasn't started saving for retirement? Right. Yet? And that's where you can go back to last week's show. I did a couple of analysis and what I'm changing up is the idea that if we have higher embedded inflation, like you're saying, maybe not forever, but maybe for the next few years, mm-hmm. okay? Meaning that if you originally were running your plan based on maybe three or two, or even the Fed's 2% inflation, right. which we had for a long time, right? But now all of a sudden you got to run it at seven. 
And maybe you, you say, Mark, I think we're going to have this 7% inflation for three years. All right, so let's let's run it for three years at seven and then back. But I'm not going to go all the way back to the feds. I don't believe they're going to get back to their target, too. I'm going to leave it at three and a half. Benjamin's three and a half, right? Right. All right. So how would that adjust now? You know, because when I when I did the 50, 30, 20 rule for the 50 year old making, let's say, one hundred thousand dollars a year and they were going to work to age 67, their full retirement age for Social Security, it worked. I mean, they were in the ballpark, we'd like Mm -hmm. to say. Um, and then when, but then when I added higher inflation, they were no longer in the ballpark. Right. Okay. In other words, and, and what the 50, 30, 20 does is if you think about that, the 50 plus the 30 or 80%, it, it, it's the discipline that says you are living beneath your means, right? right? You know, you've got a hundred percent of money to spend, but you're only really spending 80. Right. And you're saving 20. And that gets that compounding interest. Right. To build up your nest And the egg. more time you have, the better it'll be. Right. Yeah, that's the, the, the compounding. And it doesn't, you know, and, and so, but if the problem is if inflation is growing up faster than your pay, which is the case mm-hmm. for most people in this country, then something's got to give, Carrie, right? Mm-hmm. Because you won't be able to maintain that 50, 30, 20. So something's got to give. So if you have the discipline to say, all right, my plan is no longer working. So what does Carrie, so when you, when you come to the realization that your plan isn't working, meaning the money's going to run out before life. All right. So the DIYI, that's the do it yourself internet. What's usually their first recommendation? Work work longer. Work longer. Okay, so let's run that. But they don't. But they tell you how much longer you got to work. No, that's what they seem to forget. Right? It's just work longer. Right. Well, how much do I need to stay at my current right. full time job, or can I work like work till my retirement and do a scaled back? Can I work a part time job? Can I? Right. There's a lot of options. Or can I get a second job while I'm working part time? So when I'm retired, I want to retire. Carrie, you're making it too confusing. Just work right. longer. Right. Or like the second one is spend less. Well, we'll get to that one. <laughs> let me let me try to get through. I don't know how much time I got left. Here. Okay. Let me try to get through work longer. Okay. So let's say, let's tell the robot that, all right, my 50, 30, 20, I'm 50 years old. I haven't started saving for retirement yet. 50, 30, 20 ain't going to work if I'm assuming a you know, like a 5% rate of return on my investments. All right. So how much longer would you have to work? Okay, so in my original case, you can go back and listen to our podcast to get the first couple of cases I did last week, but was that the 50-year-old was planning to retire at age 67, okay, and then start the Social Security at 67, their full retirement age, okay, and then they would have the withdrawal from their nest egg using Benjamin's 4% rule um, and going on from there, but what the difference was they've got to deal with this higher inflation for we ran this for three more years of 7% inflation then okay. backing down the three and a half percent. Now, so if you were going to, so if you weren't going to change any of the other assumptions, Carrie, meaning if you were still going to um, do the 20% savings and assuming that you're going to get a 5% rate of return on those savings, you know, over the years, all right, so how much longer would you have to work beyond age 67 so you're back in that ballpark? All right, well, it's hard to do that math in your head. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, but I start I looking, I've run a few of these over the decades, Carrie, right? So I said, well, let me run five more years. Okay. Okay, um, and remember, I'm starting the, 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 that the 50-year-old's making 100000 a year. Okay, um, now, so... Instead of retiring at 67, now they're going to work till age 72. Okay. All right. Um, and that's the baby boomer dilemma, right? I'm never right. going to retire. Or, you know, I, I, it kills me when I read these articles that says that the baby boomers new retirement feelings or ideas. And it's like a great percentage are saying, well, my my new retirement is I'm going to work part time. Is that is that like. That's not retirement, right? Right. Well, for some people it is because they they may work at 
Lowe's, Home Depot, because they like or something that they like a business they like and they get a discount. But well, if it's, a, if it's a hobby career, I'm all for it. Well, I'm not that. even talking about a hobby. I'm talking about maybe like working at Home Depot because I like stuff and I get a discount. And well, do that's stuff. kind of a hobby. Career. Right. But I'm just saying or some and I want to supplement it, some income just for I just don't want to do what I've been doing. Right. Anyways. Or some people need to keep busy. Right. Well, that yeah. OK, that's that's an issue. Um, all right. So. Now, and so so now that changes the scenario, right? So right. Because one, if they're going to work till 72, mm-hmm. okay, um, okay, now they're not going to start Social Security at 67. But they're going to start it at 70. Right. Um, now, if they, um, but also they're going to be saving that much more, right? Right. Um, and that getting that compounding. All right. So. When I ran, so what we talk about is we we look at the that that amount of, but in this scenario, if we're running higher inflation, we're going to keep the savings at twenty. See, the problem is the fifty mandatory spending is going up because of higher inflation. Right now, I assume seven percent inflation and three percent pay increases. So that's a net loss. Okay. So a lot of times it's it's hard to cut mandatory spending. Right. I mean, you can make an argument. Any expense is, you know, if your if your real estate taxes are so high, you could sell and downsize, I guess. But I mean, barring that, you normally you say what gets cut first is the discretionary spending. Right. So you're no. So if if your if your fifty percent is going up higher because of inflation, then and you're keeping your twenty percent savings static, that means what? The thirty percent's got to go lower. Right. Because you only have one hundred percent to work with. Right. All right. Um. So that's what we see. We see that relationship, that inflation. That's why it's very difficult in a high inflation to follow the 50-30-20 rule. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just right. saying if you could do it, if you could have the financial discipline to do it, it might just save you. All right. So, but in this case, it it wasn't going to save the 50-year-old. All right. So he's got to work, I said, to age 72. So now... So running that scenario, so now we look at what I call the lifestyle creep, meaning that at the end of that time period, in this case, you know, age 72, what is now the cumulative amount of, of that 50 and 30 is, you know, that spending? Mm-hmm. Because when you're in retirement, you don't have to save 20% anymore. Right. So you want to maintain that lifestyle that you accustomed yourself to following the 80% that you're spending. Right. That also comes back to sometimes you hear that you only need 80% of right. your earnings in retirement because you don't have that 20% savings. Right. Or even if you're not 20% savings, sometimes that 20% is made up of the payroll taxes that go away right. when you retire. You don't have to pay into Social Security or Medicare or local taxes right. anymore. Right. So that's, that's somehow you get back to that. You don't need 100%, so to speak. Um, but anyways... So that now, so when I looked at what that spending is now at age 70, you know, going into their 73rd year, now that combined spending is about 153,000. Okay. All right. So, so now what is, so that's the lifestyle they want to maintain. Right. Okay. Um, y- you know, the, uh, okay. Now, so what does their nest egg right now? Okay, so now their nest egg is about one million one hundred fifty-two thousand. Okay. Okay, the millionaire, right? Did I do it? Well, when we run now the four percent rule, and saying that okay, now the other thing too is that um, we're going to assume a higher Social Security, right? Because mm-hmm. now they're going to defer; they'll be able to defer that Social Security to age seventy. All right. So whereas before their Social Security at sixty-seven was going to be. Um, you know, sixty thousand. Right. At age seventy, it's going to be around eighty-four thousand. That's a big difference. Okay. Now the half spousal stays the same. Right. Okay? If that's Elizabeth Warren, Carrie, I'm not here. Okay. Because you know she created the. 50, I decline. I, I dec- Yeah, I'd still decline the call. Um, she was probably going to, you know, <laughs> correct me on what I was. The one person I would not like to get in a debate with is Elizabeth Warren. I, I think she won a few debates in her career at Harvard, but um, she 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 is a. Dynamics speaker when you when you get into a, a fiscal argument or a financial argument with her. Um, now, all right. So what else was I saying, Carrie? I forgot the oh yeah, the Social Security. So the ha- so I want to because a lot of people don't understand that. 
So remember, the deferred credits, if so, every year you wait after your full retirement age, in this case, 67 to 70, those three years, you get an 8% increase in your benefits, right? That's the deferred credits. And that higher benefit, by the way, goes on to the survivor. You know, that's why a so lot of times... So it's win-win. Yeah, that's why a lot of times the robots will always want the one with the higher Social Security benefit to wait till 70 mm-hmm. because that's the one that goes on Survivor. And then the general rule is at the first death, the lower Social Security drops off, right? Mm-hmm. Now, but the spousal, if all you have is the half spousal, that was my assumption in this case, that you don't get deferred credits on your spousal benefit. Right. The most you'll ever get is half of what your spouse's full, full retirement, retirement age benefit is. You know, so that stays So it's the same. only the survivorship benefit. Um, yeah, but but in this case, you know, we're not kicking, we're not killing anyone off right now. We're right. saying they're both living. All right, so so, but in in either case, you know, you're getting that increase um, in 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 the in the, the age seventy benefit for one of them. All right. Um, so so now you add up the so then we run the four percent rule. Um, now we don't have to run it thirty years anymore, right? Right. Because they're not starting at 68, they're starting at 73. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we only have to run it 25 years. Right. Okay. Um, and then keeping all the other assumptions the same, all right, um, the, you know, the, the so now, like, the 4% rule becomes the 4.73% rule. Okay. <laughs> because it's a shorter time period. Right. Um, and so now that they could start pulling out about fifty four thousand five hundred out of the million. Um, what did I say? The million one fifty two. Right. Okay. So now you take the Social Security, which is you know the eighty four thousand plus the withdrawal. You're using the four percent rule withdrawal. Another fifty four thousand. So you're about one hundred and thirty eight hundred thirty nine thousand. Mm-hmm. And what was your lifestyle creep? Can I remember I said, and this for this case it was about one hundred and fifty three thousand. Okay. So you're a little bit short, fourteen thousand, about a thousand a month. For some people, it depends on what. But are you in the important. ball? Are you in the ballpark? Maybe it depends how important that discretionary might be to you. Some people say that travel, those trips, are things I really want to do, or those hobbies, or I don't mind working harder for it. And other people say, eh, "I'm good." Well, at least I can cut. Right, but at least I would say you're in the ballpark. Right. Okay, so that would be so. And this the solution here was saying, yeah, if you work five years longer, now we can we can change up the assumptions, and I'll do more of these next week, Harry. So next week maybe we'll say, well, Mark, I don't want to work five years longer. So tell me how much of my savings would have to be if twenty percent isn't enough. Mm-hmm. Okay, or perhaps another one would be. Um, what rate of return would I need from investments if 5% doesn't get me there? So we'll talk more about that next. Also, Kara, next week we'll talk about um, the feds. You know, more uh, uh, they like the measure that's coming out for inflation next week, the personal consumption expenditures index. So we'll be watching that next week. And also we got Davos going on. So we'll see what the elite says right. about what's going on in the world. All right. Get us All out right. Of here, Call for a free consultation at 440 440- Two three nine twenty ninety, or visit us at financialfoodforthought.com. Tune in next week for more Financial Food for Thought. For more information about the show, for estate planning or upcoming seminars, call the estate planning team at 440-239-2090. Thanks for listening.